boat, right? It's not personal. It's strictly business. You know the quote, right? Michael Corleone. But, but, before the but, we have this vibe, right? Okay, that like personal is emotion and, and business is cognitive. And we should divorce ourselves for the, the personal. We should divorce ourselves from the emotional and embrace the business, the logical, the cognitive. We're, we're kind of like, like, okay, well, if you show emotion, it's not a good thing. If it gets personal, you're out of line. But did you know that that's not the quote from the book on which the movie is based? The quote from the book is this. For the second time, he saw Michael Corleone's face freeze into a mask that resembled uncannily the Don's. Tom, don't let anyone kid you. It's all personal. Every bit of business. Every piece of, okay, a word that I shouldn't use in church, man has to eat every day of his life is personal. They call it business. Okay, but it's personal. You know where I learned that from? The Don, my old man, the godfather. If a bolt of lightning hit a friend of his, the old man would take it personal. He took my going into the Marines personal. That's what makes him great, the great Don. He takes everything personal, like God. He knows every feather that falls from the tail of a sparrow or whatever, the, however it goes, right? And you know something? It's personal. So let's get away from the fact that we can't make things personal or emotional and we have to remain in this world in which it's strictly business and cognitive and logical. These words of joy and sadness and fear and anger and surprise and shame and pride and, and, and just the awesome sense that life brings to us sometimes that at other times the lonely, the vulnerable, the despairing, the guilty... Tanya, in her practice, uh, embraces some things. She has this thing. It's called the feelings wheel, okay? And you can, like, move from the center to the out, the big categories. Am I happy? Am I sad? Am I disgusted? Am I surprised? Am I feeling bad? Am I feeling fearful? Am I trying to express anger? We're taught in some ways that emotion isn't something that we want to experience, and to be sure, emotion can overrule the cognitive process. Emotions also can get us stuck, right? We can literally harm our bodies. You can die of a broken heart. Emotions allow us to be fully human. I was at a funeral earlier this year, walked up to this woman. She was just obviously overcome at the death of the individual that we had just remembered, buried, and she's like, I don't know why I'm crying. I'm like, you know what the most important verse in the Bible is? She's like, nope. I said, you know what the shortest verse in the Bible is? Nope. Jesus wept. Now, you could argue with me whether or not that's the most important verse in the Bible. But Christ shows himself to be fully human and gives us an example to follow. We live in a world that disguises itself as cognitive. But look at what pe drives people's behavior. Look at what drives nations' behavior. It's rarely purely cognitive. Emotions, we have them for a reason. They balance what we think we know, and to be sure, what we know can balance our emotion. 
But probably the mistake that most people make is that they do not realize how powerful emotions are, even for the person who would say they are unemotional. I was having a conversation with a guy, and he's like, I'm not emotional at all. I'm like, oh, interesting, you know? So he's telling me about a disagreement with his spouse, and he gets done with a disagreement, which he just kind of disengages from and shows no emotion whatsoever. And he's like, and then I went out into the garage and took a sledgehammer to a sheet of plywood. (laughs) Yeah, no, no emotion at all. Yeah, no, definitely. You're purely logical. Like, that's like the most important thing, right? We beat up a piece of plywood, or in the case of a radioactive raccoon, we beat up a chunk of grass. Emotion is where Paul is at today. Verse 17. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Again, Paul is wrestling for the hearts of the guys and gals and children that he loves in this area called Galatia, present-day Turkey. And he's saying the people that are trying to get you to move away from Christ, their motives, their motives... They're trying to get you to do something you shouldn't do. And they're motivated by a bad thing. They're trying to get you to become something that you shouldn't become. Their motives aren't pure. They're they're sucking up to you. And it's really, it's kind of, it's kind of like, it's a bad pickup line. It's, uh, hey, how are you doing, baby? I hope you know CPR because you just took my breath away, you know? (laughs) I ought to complain to Spotify for you not being named this week's hottest single, you know? A cheesy pickup line. Paul's like saying, don't fall for it. When I look into your eyes, I see a very kind soul. Or this one, how about this one? If you were a vegetable, you know where it's coming, right? You'd be a cucumber. Yeah, they're cheesy, right? They would never work. They should never work. It's a cheesy pick. Paul's like, don't fall for a cheesy pickup line. Their motives are not pure. They're only in it for themselves. Paul's motives? Paul's motives are different. So they want to make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you might make much of them. Tell me how great I am, right? Verse 18, it's always good. They believe the first part of verse 18 is kind of like a, yeah, like a parable-like saying in the first century. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, okay? It's like, hey, if, if someone's like wants to like really invite you into something and is like saying, hey, you, should, you can aspire to this, to this great thing, I mean, that's a pretty cool thing. Seems to be the intent that Paul has. I'm trying to make good of you for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, this is a dangerous metaphor. We've talked about this before. It's always dangerous for a guy to compare anything to childbirth. If someone wanted to question the Bible, my tongue is in my cheek. For me, it would be here. 
A male should never compare what they are experiencing to childbirth. Never, ever, ever, ever. Even if you've had a kidney stone. <laughs> it doesn't count. If you've had a kidney stone and have given birth, then you can compare the two. By the way, size of the child, size of the stone. It's one of those things, right? It's kind of like uh, someone saying that they have PTSD as a joke. Don't, don't ever joke about PTSD. Please, please don't, don't ever joke about having PTSD. If, if you don't have it, don't joke about it. It's, it's also a joke. Like my personal one is like if someone like, you know, makes some sort of reference of violence towards a female, I'm just like, no, that's never funny. That's, that, that's never, you don't, you, don't ever, you don't ever make a joke about that. Or, or comparing something to Nazism, okay? D don't, don't ever compare anything to Nazism, okay? There are just some comparisons that you don't make. Paul makes a comparison that I would never make, okay? But I didn't write it, okay? He is a product of his times. And there is an underlying thing here, right? Just because you disagree with the comparison... Don't eliminate the reality that undergirds it. Like, even if you're like, John, I really don't like you. Okay, fine. That's, I, I get that. I don't like myself at times either, right? Okay, no problem. Paul's like, even, I would say, even if you don't like the comparison that Paul makes, what Paul is trying to do is move his people closer to Christ. At the heart of the core of our being at Timberwood Church, it's to move us, collectively and individually, closer to Christ. You don't like the coffee? It, it's, it's okay. Our, our goal is to still move each of us closer to Christ. We might add, on the big things, we need to agree. Because there's probably no one in this space that's going to disagree with the notion of moving closer to Christ. Paul puts it like this, until Christ is formed in you. Paul's like, I'm not in it for the stock options. I'm in it because I want to see Christ formed in you. What does that mean? It can be hard, right? The death of self, the death of personal want. But it can also be easy or well-fitted. It can be something that can be many things all at once. It can be uniquely tailored to the individual. Christ formed in you. But, but also in a general sense that we should be able to recognize, right? Moving closer to Christ, moving me closer to Christ, moving us closer to Christ. The large themes of the life of Christ, this idea of service, but there's also solitude in Christ's life. Jesus is described as a man of sorrows, but someone who loved banquets. Christ formed in Christ could always see the good in those who were forgotten, those that were broken. And God, Christ could always see through the smoke and mirrors of the religious leaders of the day. In fact, Christ's fiercest condemnation was for those who should know they need a Savior but wouldn't respond. 
And Christ's most gracious response was for those who were desperate to find one and didn't know where to look. Christ formed in us themes in the life of Christ, the will of the Father. How often we boiled this down to, what car should I buy? But don't we think it's richer than that? Christ formed in us this sense of compassion, this sense of grace, this sense of mercy, the shape of Christ, the shape of you. That there is a tailoring, there is a unicity to what Christ will look in, Christ formed will look like in our lives but it should be recognizable, distinct, but unique. What shape are our lives right now? Are they in a good shape? In a bad shape? Is it a lasting shape? Is it a shape of life And freedom, is it a shape of self-sacrifice? Is it the shape of Christ? What is the shape of Christ in your life? What is the shape of our lives right now? And what shape will our lives take when we have Christ formed in us. And to what shape is the Spirit of God inviting our lives to take? Verse 20. I wish we could better channel the emotion that I think is implicit in verse 20. I, th- I think there's urgency. I think certainly the word perplexed is used. I think there's a, there's a sense of concern. There's a sense of worry. There's a sense of there's a lot at stake. There's like this, this is about as weighty as it gets. You can't, this, th- there's so much weight in verse 20. And it might be tempting to think, okay, that, that, that Paul's penultimate argument is not his strongest. But, but I might differ. Okay, say that, say that we had done life together, right? And, and I had visited with you and we had engaged in life and you had come into my house and I had come into your house. And, and I mean, we, you know, we, we got to say yes to Jesus together and we were on this pathway. And then for whatever reason, one of us moved away and years later we were reunited and we we're like, oh, wow, it is so good to hear your voice again. It is so good to see you. Get me up to speed on everything that's happened. That, that, that energy, that excitement. I think for the Galatians, they, they, could, they could read the words and the experiences that they had with Paul. Remember, he said, I have become as you are. I lived life with you. I did life with you. I experienced life with you. I became as you. They would read the words. They would hear his voice. 
They would remember the time that he slept under their roof. They would remember the time where they had prayed to follow Jesus with Paul leading them. And so I think the penultimate argument for them to stay true to Christ, full of emotion, is about as simply as strong as it could possibly be. To be sure, it's not simply emotion. It's not emotion without reason. But please understand, it's not reason without emotion. Paul pleads when he writes, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Paul knows that words on a page will only take him so far. And not nearly as far as he would like to go. I think if you've ever engaged in any sort of way with helping people, whether it be in a professional capacity or whether it just be in a friendship capacity, you, you so want for them a better place, a, a better spot to stand, right? And so you're like, please, Please, can you see how this could be better if you did your life differently? And, and, and your heart is actually just completely, totally engaged because you want something for them that they can't seem to see for themselves. And you're like, please, if you just, just, just please, just pay, just look at it this way. Paul understands the words on the page only takes him so far and not as far as he would like to go. He's left at this point where we all find ourselves that there is only so much a person can do to try to convince someone else. And then there's this weird chemistry, right? Personal choice, circumstances, emotion, the work of the Holy Spirit. It's where Paul will arrive in just a few verses. A movie that always makes me stop, and I'm going to date myself, is uh, You've Got Mail. Always makes me stop. In it, okay, uh, Tom Hanks' character, Joe F-O-X. Joe Fox, okay? Okay, they have this battle, right? But they also have this romance, right? And, and, and Joe improperly quotes Mario Puzo, but accurately quotes The Godfather. It's not personal. It's strictly business. Meg Ryan's character, Kathleen Kelly. What, is that, what does that actually mean? What does that actually mean that it's not personal? It's very personal to me. 
Whatever else anything is, it ought to begin by being personal. It ought to begin by being emotional. It's what I invite you to consider today. I can give you the logic. I can give you the reason. I can give you arguments for the existence of God. I can do what, we can do all those things. But be drawn today to this thing. For God so loved the world. Balls in our court. An emotional response is invited. Please pray with me. In the quietness of the moment, just be honest. What's your emotional state right now? Are you angry? Are you worried? Are you insecure? Are you bored? You might be bored. Are you happy? Are you content? Are you despairing? Do you feel vulnerable? Wherever you're at in this moment, wherever we are at collectively, let us know that the God that Paul spoke of was a God who had great emotion, is a God who has great emotion. Who invites us to come to experience and do life emotionally with him because he loved. Father, we come to you today. Work in our hearts by your spirit. Allow us to say love. Allow us to say yes to the love that Christ has for us. Allow us to say yes to the love that you have for us. Allow us to say yes to having Christ formed in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.